How's everybody doing today? Good, good. A little cold outside and all that, but doing good. Well, my name is John Scott. I'm a member of the ministry team here at Transit Church and want to welcome everyone here uh, again this morning and thank everyone for coming out to worship with us. All right. So again, we're talking about the hope of uh, for those troubled here today. And just by way of introduction, you know, the Christmas season is all is all about hope. The Christmas season is all about hope. It's about hope entering the world in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know how many of you do this, but at times when I'm reading through the Bible or hearing a story or something like that, I wonder, what would I do if I was there? If I was there, what would I do that was different? What would I do that's the same as everyone who was alive during this time? And in my heart, I'd like to believe that if I was there in the time of Jesus, I would have been on on the right side of this thing. I would have heard the prophecies, been like, oh, yeah, that's a prophecy. Look, he fulfilled this, and he fulfilled this, and he fulfilled this. But the reality is I don't have any idea what I would have done. And that's because Jesus coming into the world turned the world upside down. Everything that he brought, every idea, every promise that he was set to fulfill was just mind-blowing. How do you react to that? I don't know. But if I look at my own life and see how I react to things like a meeting being changed from, I'm going to use a little military time, from 09 to 1300, you know, at times I can get pretty mad about that, you know? That one little change, just moving a meeting time, everybody's still going to be there. So how can I truly believe that I would have reacted well to having every belief that I held dear put in question? You know, it's hard, it's hard to make that leap. I think that I would have been deeply troubled by, by that type of change. And my guess is that all of you can relate to what I'm saying. Largely, there's, you know, two kinds of people in the world. And the first kind are, the, are those of you who know that you hate change. Those who just look at it and say, you know what, I do not like when things change. In my opinion, you all are sitting in the best position because you just, you're keeping it real, you know that you don't like change, there, there, there's no, no deception or no delusions there. Others of you think that you like change, may even say that you love change, until you bump up against something that requires you to change. Then you realize you're really in group number one, okay? So if we're honest with ourselves, we're all, at, at least at some level, bothered by change. The only change, that we really want in our lives is that that we believe that's necessary, that's at a pace that we can control and in a way that we specify. We are fairly comfortable with, with that type of change. If we're transparent, we, we sometimes are, but at least would be troubled by the type of change that Jesus brought into the world. But the good news for us is that there is indeed hope for the troubled. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You can pull it up on your smartphone. It's going to be up on the screen. And I invite you to read with me as we look at the passage that we'll dive into today. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained them, them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word that they may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that comes, that came, that is still coming with the birth of your son Jesus, with his death on the cross, with his uh, resurrection and his ascension to your side. Father, as we uh, are here today for this brief moment to hear your word, Lord, open our hearts by your spirit. Help us to hear what you have for each of us, Lord. I pray that you would speak directly to, to each heart in this place here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So hope for the troubled. What we see in this passage is three different portraits or three different reactions to the, the, the promise, to the, the prophecy that the, that, the, that the wise men spoke about of Jesus coming into the world. So we see these, these three different things. We'll go through each one of those here this morning. First, let's start with the reaction for those troubled by the loss of power. Jesus is hope despised. For those troubled by the loss of power, Jesus is hope despised. And here we're talking about Herod, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. They were troubled because they had a position or they had positions of of power or of oversight or of status or of these different things. So this, this great hope, this Messiah who was supposed to return things, this Messiah who was supposed to usher in this amazing age was a problem for them. He was a problem. Herod despised the potential loss of advantage. This is the king. You know, he's sitting up on top of the throne. In our, in our own everyday lexicon, we use... Uh, Expressions like, if I was king for a day. Well, Herod was king for, for more than a day. And he was worried that Jesus had come for his throne. Now, Jesus indeed came for a throne, but Herod's throne is probably a little bit small for, for Jesus. But it doesn't matter. He was worried that he came for his throne, and, and Herod was very conscious of, of his own power. And in that day... When, when the wise man 
or the prophet, all you got to do is just look through the Bible, find some prophets, find some wise men. It's not a good thing necessarily, especially if you're the guy in charge. The, the, the prophets, the, the magi, these different people would come and they would prophesy the downfall of kings. They would come in and tell the king, you know, kind of about himself and the fact that he probably wasn't going to be king much longer. So Herod, in reference to Jesus, decided to do the things that, that he had done in the past. As I was prepare, preparing for this, Jeff sent me some notes about Herod. And, you know, I learned that Herod had his wife that he loved, who was beautiful. He had her killed. He had both her parents killed. Herod killed some of his sons. This is what he did. When he got paranoid, he decided that people, somebody, had to die. So in that line where he says, you know, how long was the star there? When you, when you find the child, let me know. We know what he did. He went and had the children that were about that age and younger, he had them all killed. Find all the male children of this age and younger and put them to death. So he followed his regular pattern. He was looking to derail God's plan. So again, troubled by the loss of power, he despised the hope that came with Jesus. Next, the chief priests and the teachers of the law despised their potential loss of status. They had it, they had it pretty good. They were worried that Jesus was going to come and, and put them out of a job. They, they had positions of respect. They had positions where they were telling people what the, the, the religious law meant you know, they're setting precedents and, and doing all of these things. So, so they've got it pretty good. And again, going back to Herod, when he became king, he made some changes that gives them even more reason to be uncomfortable with Jesus coming. When Herod took over, he decided the priesthood would no longer pass down the family line like it had. He made it so he could appoint priests. That way, if they weren't saying what he liked, replace them, put in a new guy. Uh, so if Herod loses power, then maybe someone else is going to change it again, and we lose status once more. And let's think about it. It is, it is, kind, of, it is kind of unnerving. A couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the officers and, and the senior NCOs from uh, the old guard where I work, we went and visited the uh, secretary of the Veterans Administration, uh, Secretary Robert McDonald. And he took over the VA after all that stuff you heard about in the news, um, all the, the, the waits for appointments and these different things and, and people dying while they're waiting for care. He took over. So one of the things that he had to do was take a look at the organization and see what can we do that this doesn't happen again. And, and he did a lot of great stuff. I really enjoyed listening to him. But, but one of the things that he did was he told people, if you can't get on board with what we're trying to do, then you need to find someplace else to work. The result being that over 3,500 people were fired from the Veterans Administration. We've, we all hear in the news every day the new person that, uh, that President-elect Trump is appointing for his cabinet. So that means that everybody's sitting in those cabinet positions now, out the door. And then one, there's a, uh, an officer in my unit. Her dad was an assistant football coach when she was growing up, uh, assistant college football coach. So every time the head guy gets let go, the whole staff gets let go 
along with them. So it's kind of a big deal, you know. I don't think we can beat these guys up too much. I mean, they did despise the hope, and that's, you know, that's not good. But if we're, if we're honest with ourselves again, we can see losing your job, that's kind of a big deal. You know, if you've ever lost a job, it's definitely a big deal. So, you know, they're, they're, they're worried. They're worried because Jesus, he was coming to take all jobs. You know, he wasn't leaving any jobs undone. Jesus, you know, we think about the big prophecies, but let's start with this. He said that the son of man came to, to be a servant, not to be served. So he's even taken the servant's jobs. But we know from the big prophecies that he came to be king, prophet, and priest. So he was taking all jobs. You know, he was taking whatever Herod had. He was taking what the scribes had, everybody. So, so I can see, um, you know, I can kind of empathize with, with where they're coming from. But they're not the only ones because the passage goes on to say that, that when, they, when they heard it, that Herod, yeah, he was troubled, but all Jerusalem was troubled with him. All Jerusalem was troubled with him. So for, for those who are just troubled by change, Jesus is hope disguised. He's hope disguised. Hope disguised as a breakdown in, in the system. We all like systems. Again, I will just speak mainly for myself, but I will venture to say that some of the military folks in the unit, you might like having a system if on Sunday, before you go back to work on Monday, you pull out all your clothes for tomorrow, you get all your shower stuff ready, you set your bag in a certain spot to make sure that you have everything. That's a system. That's a system. Now, if somebody comes along and cleans up and moves your stuff and you don't know it, that's a problem. <laughs> That's definitely a problem, okay? So in my own unit, you know, the, the system, or if you want to call it uh, change, breaking down the status quo, in my own unit, we had a change of command this past summer. Uh, the, the, the commander that we had was Colonel Johnny K. Davis. Most people just refer to him as Johnny K. I don't because I'm not a colonel. But they refer to him as Johnny K., and he was a, an ROTC graduate from one of the branches of the University of Wisconsin. And I'm telling you, he was a great guy. You know, belly laughs, loud voice, would, would delay the start of a ceremony for 20 minutes while he shook hands of, you know, six to 100 people. He was going to shake hands and look in the eye of everybody. The kind of guy that you wish, that I wish, you know, was like 20 years younger so he could marry one of my daughters or something like that. You know, he was that kind of guy. And everyone was used to how he, how he was. And then we changed over to Colonel Garkey, um, Jason Garkey, who is a, a West Point graduate. Another great guy, but not the same. You know, people, he came in and he did what you just can't do ever in life. That's ask the people who've been working there questions. Don't ask me any questions. You know, this is how we've always done it, sir. You know, one of those things. But he's asking questions because he, he wants to learn. He wants to know. He wants to command well. And actually, though they're outwardly different, they both deeply, deeply care for soldiers. But that fear of change, it, it, it bothers people. You know, hey, the colonel asked me a question today. Am I doing something wrong? It's like, did you answer the question? Yeah. Did he say you were doing something wrong? No. But he asked questions. I haven't been asked a question in two years. You know, that's that's... 
I don't know how it is in the other services, but, you know, that's how it is in the Army. Your, 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 your big hope is that you can start your job the day the commander takes over and that you can leave your job the day before he changes command. You know, that's, that's, that's how people would rather do it. Because change also, at times, it requires us to have new knowledge. We have to acquire new knowledge. We have to have new skill sets. We have to change our, our mindset. One of the ones that gets me is this, this Windows, man. Why do they keep upgrading it? You know, if we were still at Windows 3.1, I think I'd be good to go. You know, but they go through these, these ones that don't even work, like Windows ME and all this other stuff. But, you know, it's a change, something that ain't broke. Why fix it? I like taking my eight steps to get to what I can now do in one click, but I can't find it on the menu because you changed the format. All right? Change requires us to, to, to do some things. So, again, it's this, just disguised as a breakdown of the system. Are you kidding me? Hope also can be disguised as loss. Great loss precedes change. If you look into the prophets, you know, look at Jeremiah, look at Isaiah, and look at all the loss that the people have to, to go through before they get to that promise of God delivering them. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, in, in, at work, things, you know, someone takes over, uh, and, and things they just, again, they have to change. Israel, when they're going through the desert, There's so much, I don't know, just loss and woe that they're like, take us back into slavery. This promised land thing, don't, don't worry about that anymore. You know, that, that briefed well. But, hey, take us back, to, take us back to, to Egypt into slavery. And then just a personal example for my life. In uh, 2014, I had to have surgery on my hip. Not a hip replacement. Every time somebody hears that, they're like, man, you're kind of young to have a hip replacement. It was not a hip replacement, okay? But in order, I had to have that surgery because, you know, I had to, I wasn't functioning at 100%. But my 80% was getting me through. You know, 80% was getting me through pretty good. And then I went and I decided I had this surgery. First thing I did when I got home from surgery was puke all over the place because I'm, I'm a weakling when it comes to anesthesia or pain meds or any of that stuff. Um, and then I got to lay on my back for hours for a couple of weeks with this thing, taking my leg up and down, up and down. So I lost a lot. And that was in the summer. You know, people were coming to visit. Grandma came to visit. And there I am, up and down, up and down, you know. So there was loss before there was any gain from that surgery. And oh, by the way, now I need to get the other one done. And I've been avoiding that for like a year. So hope can be disguised by that kind of loss. We think about, instead of what the end result might be, what that end promise is, it's just what are we going to lose to get there, and I'd just rather not lose it. You know, I'd rather run around at 80% because, you know, thanks be to God, my 80%, again, it gets me through. It gets me through just fine. And then finally, and I'm not going to get deep into the, to the Magi, but for those Troubled by the need to worship, Jesus is hope realized. Jesus is hope realized. So hope despised, hope disguised, and hope realized. The Magi, and Jeff's going to talk about this more next week, so I'm going to you know, tread a little bit lightly right here. But they came to find Jesus and worship him. 
not, not, a, not necessarily a, a, a big deal when we just hear it like that, but we have to realize that they probably didn't even really know what all this meant because the Magi aren't like Jeremiah or Isaiah or John the Baptist or these other people. They weren't Jews. They weren't Christians. They were from the East. So they, they were coming to look for and worship something that they did not completely understand. They traveled great distances, and, and it, was, you know, it was God who led this unlikely group by an unlikely method because, again, they followed a star. I don't know that they worshiped the stars, but I know earlier in the Bible, that's one of the things that you shall not do. You know, you shall not worship these things that are in the heavens, these images and these different things. But God used what they had and led them to, to, to that hope that was only found in Christ. Jesus represents the hope of a nation, the hope of a region, and the hope of all people who have and who will ever live. You cannot have that kind of radical hope without radical change, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, all these different things. You cannot have that kind of hope come without radical change. You cannot have that kind of radical change without feeling troubled. Even the most spiritual of us are going to be troubled. And, but it's not the feeling of being troubled that determines what that hope means to us. Just because we may feel troubled in spirit doesn't mean we're doing something wrong, doesn't mean something is wrong with us. It's what we do with those feelings that determines whether Jesus is hope despised, hope disguised, or hope realized. What, we have, what you have to do is determine what you are going to do with that hope. So as, as we said in the uh, responsive reading, the first thing I would propose is that you have to get off the throne. You have to get off of the throne. Herod, and I didn't get into all his history, but he was, he was basically half Jewish. He was, he was placed into power. He's kind of an illegitimate king sitting on a throne that's not his own, and at times, we, we are that as well. So what do I mean? One, the throne of your heart, the throne of your own heart. We want to be in charge of everything that goes on in our own heart, with our own feelings. We, uh, we, just, we just believe that we have the right to do the things that we want to do. We like being in that place. It justifies a whole lot of different things, but we have to get off of that throne. Jesus is, that's, that's his throne. He's to sit there. He's to tell us how to live. The throne of your relationships. We want to change the people around us. When we bump up against some friction with people, we want them to change. We want to be in charge of those relationships. We may not say it. We may not even actively think it, but our actions communicate that. Now, this is probably not very nice, so I'm going to, I'm going to take it easy, but, but this is one that, that I, every once in a while I have to bring out and tell a person. If everybody around you is stupid, everybody is stupid, there's only one common denominator, okay? So we're not always on the throne of those relationships. We might be trying to rule, but we might not be right. And then the throne 
of the world, which means a lot of different things. But, I, but one, take the results of a recent event that happened sometime in the beginning of November. Um, there's some people that, that, are, that are upset about that on both or all sides, however you want to look at it. We want the world to, set, to be set up in such a way that all the things that we think are right, all the things that we believe are represented in everybody who draws oxygen on earth. That's a tall order. That's, that's a little bit of a tall order. So get off the throne. The next thing, let go of your religion. The religious leaders held to a counterfeit religion because it suited their purposes. These guys were steeped in the law. They were steeped in the word. They knew these prophecies, yet they were troubled because the religion that they were in was good enough. They were taken care of. I don't necessarily need a Messiah. I'm under Rome, and yeah, it kind of sucks. But hey, guess what? People look up to me, so let's just drive on. Again, Jesus is coming to take all jobs. Okay? So the religion of appearances, let that go. Appearing holy, doing the right things, going to church on Sundays because that's what good, that's just what good folk do. They go to church on Sundays. And if you're, you know, depending on your religion, you might have to go on Wednesdays. You might have to go to something on at lunchtime, you know, these different things. But just being in the right places, appearing to be holy. The religion of exclusion, the haves and have-nots. This is that great uh, passage where Jesus tells you not to judge for, you know, with, with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. It doesn't mean that you deny right and wrong. But to say certain people are doomed, these certain people will never get it. You, you don't go there. How, how does that help? You know, does that help us feel better? Does that help a person feel better to, to have that exclusive religion? That's not, that's not what things are about. And the religion of happiness. You know, you got you to gotta let that go, too. We can't worship our own happiness. We can't worship the happiness of others because really it's not about that. God isn't here to, to necessarily to, to crush us and do these things. But he's also, again, when you read the Bible, pick up your cross and follow me. There's, there's probably some joy to be had in that, but I don't know that that's the, the, the happiness that, that, that people so often chase after, that carefree, nothing's wrong, everything's going to go right with me kind of situation. The, this Bible, granted it's a translation of the original languages, but it doesn't really say that anywhere that I've found in between this, this cover with the nice engraved Chaplain Scott on it um, and, and the back cover, okay? And then we have to be strong and courageous in the face of fear. We have to be strong and courageous in the face of fear. And now I'm talking about the rest of Jerusalem. They were, they were stuck in the status quo of less than the best out of fear. Let's just kind of drive on with what we got. I'm eking out my existence, and, and I'm good with that right now. But we have to be courageous in the face of the fear of loss. Sometimes we lose things, again, to get better. Sometimes you have to be laid up in order to, to heal and, and go on stronger. Fear of failure. 
when we try things different, when we have those new mindsets, when we have those new skill sets we have to put into place, we're, we're not going to be quite as good as we were. But eventually we may be even better because we've had the courage to go through it. And then the fear of success. I mean, if you've never been afraid of success, then, you know, God bless you. But, but I know that it, throughout my career, when I get into these, these different positions, the first time I took command of a unit, I was like, whoa, how did I get here? Because for better or for worse, I've had some great leaders in, in my Army career who have led me. And the thought of trying to live up to one of those people, I'm like, so every time I take a new job, I think I can't do it. And, I, and I'm afraid. But by, by the grace of God, I'm able to go forward. And I do give all, God all the credit. And I threw a definition in here of courage. Courage, the choice and willingness to confront agony, pain, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. And yes, that's from the great Wikipedia, <laughs> which, which again, going back to the conversation that me and Eric had, I told him, I said, when I was in college, when I started college, we didn't have email addresses. And, and the internet did exist, but we didn't have email addresses. And the teacher said, don't you ever put anything on a paper from an online source. If you do, it's an automatic F. Now I'm going to use the internet until it just wears out. But the point being that courage isn't the absence of these challenges. Per courage isn't the absence of being troubled. It's about being troubled, embracing that, and going forward anyway. Courage. And they say stuff on Wikipedia isn't true, but you can, you can write that one down. That one's true. All right? And then finally, move toward hope in your unness. Unness I didn't find on Wikipedia, so I don't know that, that that's a word. But it is for today. Again, I got the mic, so unness is a word. Today. And here, I'm talking about the, the Magi. They were unworthy, unsure, and undeterred. They were unworthy outsiders. Again, they weren't Jews. They weren't Christians. They, they weren't from around these parts, okay? But they went forward anyway. They were unsure about God's ways. They didn't have the same learning that the troubled religious leaders had, yet they pursued Christ with, with a passion. They pursued that child so they could worship him. This, you know, Jesus hadn't done anything yet at that point, but yet they were there out of faith. And they were undeterred by any lack. So basically the... the they were missing the, the previous two, but they went, they went forward anyway. Now, I don't, I don't pretend that, that any of this is easy for you to digest or that you can say, oh, you know what? That's a good sermon. My whole life is different. I'm going to look at things differently. No, because the fact is, I think it's supposed to be hard. Again, you don't, you don't embrace, you don't receive the kind of radical promises that, that Jesus has without being a little bit uneasy. Some of you know that I worked at Arlington National Cemetery for, for two years. So for two years, I did funeral services four to five days a week. And there's, there's, you see the whole spectrum of people. I've done 
services for the whole spectrum, from those who just are on fire for the Lord and that there is no doubt where their loved one is going to spend their eternity. Where when I call them on the phone, they're like, because there's some, there's some misinformation out there about what chaplains are allowed to do and not do. Chaplain, I, I know you're probably not allowed, but will you talk about Jesus during the service? Yes, ma'am. I sure will. In fact, I'm even going to share the gospel. Well, can you do an altar call? Well, I don't know that we got time for an altar call. <laughs> However, you know, the gospel will be shared and the invitation will, will be made. But all the way to people who are like, Chaplain, I am a, I'm a pagan minister, uh, but my mom was Christian, so will you do Christian stuff? Yes, sir. I sure will. Uh, that's what I do. But when you go to, to a funeral, it's not easy to say, I'm not going to grieve because I know my loved one is heaven, is in heaven. Even when you know that you know that you know. Someone has still passed. So no, this isn't easy. We are troubled by these types of events. The hope that Jesus brings isn't natural. It's not natural. Not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. We can't manufacture the kind of hope that Jesus brings. We cannot capture the kind of hope that Jesus brings. We cannot fully understand the kind of hope that Jesus brings. It's supernatural. However, we can receive that hope as the free gift that's promised to us from our Father through his Son by the Holy Spirit. So the question for me, the question for you, is how will you respond to the hope of our Savior, of our Savior as you remember his first advent which we celebrate in this season and look forward to his second advent, which is to come. Will you respond as one for whom this is hope despised, letting the thought of losing power and position put you in direct conflict with our rightful ruler? Will you be one for whom hope is disguised, Letting good enough usurp the reality of the perfect promise? Or will you be one for whom is hope realized? Letting go of, of all thoughts and accepting the promise in obedience and worship. So I want to encourage you that having faith does not mean that you will never be troubled. So if you have these feelings of trouble or if you, you have trouble receiving some of these promises, that's, that's normal. It's normal. The very nature of the Lord uh, shakes us to the core. We're told to, to put our old self to death so that, the new, so that the new self can be reborn. That's not easy. That death is still a, a real loss of something. I want you to turn... In your Bibles, I'm going to take a second here. Turn your Bibles to the book of John. So a couple more over to the right from Matthew. Chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. Take your time, but hurry every chance you get. All right? 
John 16, 33. This is Jesus when he's uh, preparing to go to the cross. He's preparing his disciples uh, for the time that, that he won't be with them physically, but that, you know, he will send the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 33. Now just read what I've got here. I have said these things to you that you that in me you may have peace in the world you might have tribulation no oh, no 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 in the world sometimes there will be tribulation yours don't yours doesn't say that okay in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation. And just because technology is brilliant, like I said, I didn't have it when I grew up, but I've got it now. I can hit you with a couple different translations. The uh, New American Standard Bible says that in the world, you will have tribulation. So similar to the ESV. The NIV says, in this world, you will have trouble. Hope for the troubled. The New Living Translation says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And then the Good News Bible, the Good News Bible, says the world will make you suffer. I don't know how the Good News Bible has kind of like the most hardcore translation, but okay. <laughs> I can go with it. You, you are normal, all right? You're normal if you feel trouble, but you also have the hope that Jesus has overcome the world. So put Jesus on the throne. Let go of your preconceived notions of what things should look like. Have courage and embrace the promises and worship the one who brings hope to the trouble. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your promises. Lord, thank you for your word that, that lets us know that, that there will be trouble in the world, Lord, that, that trouble is, is not an indication necessarily that, that we've lost relationship with you, but really trouble reminds us of our need to embrace you, Lord. Lord, in this season of Advent, I pray that those who are troubled would feel your hope, that, that the reality of what you promise will invade hearts, minds, and spirits, Lord God, to, to help lift those up. Because we know that you came as a great healer, Lord God. Help us to submit to, to the gifts that you offer, Lord God, and, and help us to embrace the hope and the promise of your son who you sent to die that the world could be reconciled to you. So Lord, thank you for all that you do each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.